0: Well, this is it. And here we go once again with the internationally recognized Inside EMS. And this episode of Inside EMS is sponsored by Echo. Core stethoscope technology by Echo helps EMS providers make confident, split second decisions in the most challenging environments by enhancing stethoscope sound. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E K O health.com. And if you've been following along the past few weeks, uh, you know that Kelly Grayson uh, was having some medical issues. And, um, you know, he uh, had to do surgery. And uh, I am uh, very saddened to tell you that um, he is back with us this week. So here he is, (laughs) my good friend, Kelly Grayson KG. How are you doing? I am so I'm,
1: glad that you're back
0: and you're feeling uh, more 100% of yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm doing well, man. It's uh the the pain uh after the surgery was was almost instantly gone. I woke up from anesthesia and, and sorry, no no humorous anesthesia anecdotes uh, uh of me saying loopy things and and you know professing my love to you to complete strangers or anything like that. Um, I just woke up and, and the pain in my neck and arm and, and shoulder were, were absolutely gone. Um, so that was, that was almost instantaneously relieved, uh, on no meds now other than my normal blood pressure meds. Uh, and I hope to work to, to get off of those, uh, in the near future. Um, the one thing that it didn't tell me, uh, apparently all this, uh, all this improved nerve conduction and, and, and this, re- this relief of the compression of my cervical spine uh, didn't transmit those messages to my brain because uh, the last week and a half, I have been in the depths of the worst depression that I've ever had. And I'm talking sitting in a chair for, for 16, 18 hours a day. Uh, watching Lifetime movies, crying my eyes out—kind of depression. It's bad. If I had, if I'd have had a Bon Bon, a, a a big pack of Bon Bons, and a fuzzy fuzzy slippers, and and everything, man, I could have been the the most stereotypical depressed housewife you've ever met. But uh, it's turned the corner, man. It's well, let's, I learned uh, some some weird things, dude. Yeah, I did got? not. I did not realize and, and, and it's, it's not, it's not a common thing, but one of the things that really be bumming me out is that, that even if I tried to do physical activity, um, that, that was, you know, approved by my neurosurgeon, uh, like, like walking, just, just staying in shape and walking, I could not do it. I, I couldn't walk more than a hundred feet or so before both of my hips started just really burning. And I attribute it to, to arthritis and, and deconditioning, you know, that I just haven't, you know, I haven't gotten my fat butt up in three months and, uh, and those muscles uh, are not used to, to being worked. Um, but apparently it is not uncommon for uh, cervical compression to cause some lower leg, uh, lower extremity heaviness and pain in the hips. Um, and I walked around all day yesterday and felt absolutely no pain in my, my hips, uh, which, which tremendously improved my mood, you know, that I'm going to be able to get up and, and, uh, start getting myself back in shape and start, uh, uh, really hitting this, this weight loss thing and, and rehabilitate Good. myself. Good. So when do you start the gardening? Uh well you know I've got to get some overalls first you well, know, man I mean, because man in the south can't can't garden without overalls and and this being the deep south and in, in cajun country I've got to get myself a pair of white gum boots and some hackberry reeboks so I figured uh,
0: so. I figured you'd want to start p- planting those uh, grapevines with all that freaking whining you're doing down there but,
1: <laughs> If I want to crap from you, Sebalar, I'll just squeeze your head. Okay, All right, funny, funny. All right,
0: but I'm glad you're doing well, man. But let's. Uh, I'm going to let better. you set up this week's topic, uh, so we can get into it and uh, um, see if we can have some really great discussion on uh, education.
1: Okay, um, we experienced something uh, vicariously the other day. Someone I I uh, talked to uh, on the internet experienced a. Roll out of a, uh, a nationally known class um, that uh, it was a train the trainer sort of deal uh, that uh, a certain large national EMS organization is rolling out for training laypeople in, in uh, the first steps of emergency care. And they rolled this out to a bunch of experienced EMTs. Uh, and paramedics uh including many who were also EMTs uh EMS instructors and it was really poorly done really poorly done um it's uh, uh it it was poorly delivered uh the the instructors who who uh, should know better uh were poorly prepared and not only did they uh, have some problems with the materials that were were given to them they had some uh, uh, they just followed those materials by rote, including um, sharing some factually incorrect information uh, that was easily spotted by people who know better, you know, people who uh, talking about uh, wound care and wound packing and, and, and telling experienced EMTs that, that uh, anaphylaxis can set in up to three months after exposure to the antigen and that sort of thing. and, You know, I I, I let myself get in a zone because I try to associate myself with people who who are really good at what they do, that the state of EMS instruction had gotten better and that we overall as a profession do a better job of educating our people. Um, And it kind of brought me back to no, no, not in some places. And in this particular state, uh, these particular EMS instructors and and uh, and train the trainer types were were not prepared, uh, like some of the horror stories you heard of old. And one of the things that's been going on in in social media circles is there's a hue and cry because the National Registry of EMTs has announced that they are sunsetting uh, their skill sheets. They are no longer uh, putting up skill sheets, at least for the BLS exam, and people are wondering uh, how the heck are we going to teach without skill sheets? I mean, what what are we supposed to do? Come up with our own? How we're going to teach? And I'm just thinking to myself, you're going to friggin' teach. That's what you're going to do. Why do you need a recipe? To teach an EMT how to do a simple psychomotor skill, and 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 I'm reminded unpleasantly once again that that the level of instruction in many places is is somewhat lacking, and, and sometimes even even we're well meaning, uh, we become dependent upon these these things, and we use them as crutches rather than the tools and the evaluation tools that they were intended to be. So my my question to you is. You've been in EMS for thirty plus years. You have no doubt experienced that sort of thing yourself. Uh, The first time I met you was in an AMLS class that you were teaching in uh, Reno, I think it was. And um, where did this this over reliance on skill sheets as they're the recipe that you must follow to to cook a good EMT? Where did that stuff come from, and how did we get so off the trail? In, in following those
0: things? Yeah, man, I think that they're really good questions, and uh, I, I think it's systemic in EMS education. And, you know, I, I really think that, you know, I, I first became an instructor in the United States Air Force in 1986. I had to go to six weeks of instructor school at Chinook Air Force Base in Illinois, six weeks of instructor school mm-hmm. to learn how to teach and uh, the, you know, instructor methodology that allowed me the opportunity to be able to stand in front of folks and deliver education messaging. You know, it was all about informing, entertaining, and persuading people. And I think that, and, and one of the things that we've got to realize is that we're old instructors, right? 1986, when I first started teaching, is a yeah. long Time ago, but for me, in in my career, I think the catalyst for poor education came in the creation of PowerPoint. So one of the things that we started to see in those late, um, you know, mid '90s, late '90s, when PowerPoint started to become the component, was now using everything else we needed as a visual aid as in resource than us as the instructors right and mm-hmm. it's steadily yeah. declined since then and but I, I do think that the reliance on tools in the classroom has been the crutch of people who fail to prepare in teaching what they need to teach yeah. if i know yeah. that i'm going to teach a skill next week. I don't look at the skill sheet till maybe 10 minutes before I have mm-hmm. to do the skill. And, you know, we learn as instructors. And when I teach instructor methodology, you know, it's four hours of preparation for every one hour of instruction, you know, like I'll be doing a, uh, a class in Columbus, Ohio next week for the fire chiefs there Mm-hmm. And I've now spent about ten hours on a ninety-minute presentation, with uh, three more days left to go in my preparation. And the reason for this is, is when I stand in front of them and they're going to pay me um, you know, an
1: honorarium
0: for exorbitant
1: honorarium, folks. I mean,
0: God, is this guy's just. <laughs> I'm not. And I, I, I'm I do I'm want kidding. to talk about that too because I do think that yeah. the money has gotten into the. It has gotten into the mindset of instructors, and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like where that is going in EMS. And I would like maybe after the break we can kind of bring that money yeah. component into this. But I do think that our reliance on tools has become a crutch. Now, with that yeah. said, Kelly, I believe that the tools that we have in the classroom today are great. I mm-hmm. think that they can be a uh, added value. But what I don't think is happening is that we're using it that way. And we're using it more as a, you know, a safety net to teach in the class. Yeah. So I don't know that we're teaching the class as much as we are um, just regurgitating what we have in front of us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, it's a paradox of using good tools uh, that you tend to become the better the tool, and the more useful the tool. The more dependent you you tend to become upon it, um, and uh, that's true whether you're using a a Black and Decker cordless drill instead of a brace and bit. <laughs> You know, or 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 that thing, or or whether you you become too lazy to get up and change the channel uh, on your television from across the room. So where's the remote? What I have to get up? What are we savages? <laughs> but, but yeah, the better the the tool, the more dependent and, and the easier it makes our lives. The more dependent we, we have of it. But you did mention something that that I think is key is that you know the advent of PowerPoint uh, made us all dumber. Um, I'm not. A, uh, I'm not an anti PowerPoint person, uh, and, and especially when you you go and speak on a, a, a niche topic, a small topic at an EMS conference, uh, or something like that, you have an hour, uh, and you have to structure it in such a way that you you get all the information across, and 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 uh, you know getting people out of their seats each time, and that so so a lot of times those things default to PowerPoint presentations, but there is a way to do a PowerPoint well, uh, or if you use Keynote or any other of the presentation programs, there are ways to do them well, um, and I think it's in the mindset, and this is where people go astray. The, they become slaves to the PowerPoint rather than the PowerPoint is a tool that we use. We, we become the tool that delivers the PowerPoint and, and that's where you get the death by PowerPoint and read the slides and, and, and you've got a room full of people thinks I could read this myself at home. Why are we going through this? Um, there are ways to do it well and to do it right. Uh, and there are cottage industries based on that very thing. I, I, I had the privilege of sitting in, in Tyler Christofoli and, and Sam Ireland's, uh, uh, Speaker Atlas uh, at a, a conference a few months back, and and it was exceedingly well done. Uh, and they weren't saying things like they weren't saying things like, uh, you know, ditch the PowerPoint or, or PowerPoint sucks, use Keynote instead, use all Apple products and this kind of stuff. But they were teaching tips and tricks um, that. Many of these tips and tricks I already knew. I, I I didn't gain a whole lot of new information here, but what the their their uh, speakers atlas was was about is teaching people who may not be really familiar with that platform. Form, the the philosophy that your instructional materials are supposed to aid you. In making your presentation pop, instead of the other way around, where you just exist to get up and and use a laser pointer and click the next button on the on the slides, um, and, and they do a very good job at that. One of the things we did yesterday, for example, we we had our EMT class. We've got a high school EMT class, but. It's uh, unusual for us and that it's half and half. We got half uh, half girls and half half boys in the class. Uh, usually we have uh, uh, eight or nine very um, enthusiastic and dedicated dedicated young ladies and, and one dude, <laughs> and he's just, uh, me and the one dude are, are, uh, are, um, overwhelmed by the, uh, by the, the sea of estrogen between Nancy and the rest of the girls. So, so we're outnumbered. Um, but we were teaching anatomy and physiology and you know how tedious and boring a, a thing that can be, you know, Uh, yeah, you, I I see you with that, that, uh, that skeptical look on your face, you think of, think of going back to your first EMT class and you're learning the names of different parts of the body and how they work and what is the heck is a sagittal plane and a transverse plane and a coronal plane and, and all of this, and what the heck is the difference between abduction and adduction and flexion and extension and why the hell does it matter and all of this? And that that's an integral part of the class. They have to know that that's the language of their profession and everything kind of flows from being able to understand fundamentally uh, that terminology, but it's new and it's a mouthful to pronounce and all of that sort of thing. So how did we do this? We devised a uh, dynamic learning exercise, and ideas, uh, the idea of the dynamic learning exercise we stole from, from Dan Lemmer, uh, who is as uh, is, is good an EMS educator and as creative an EMS educator as you'll ever meet. We did an exercise called Watch Me Whip, Watch Me Nay Nay. We <laughs> we I I curated a few dance videos uh, from uh, Silent o, uh, Watch me whip, watch me nay nay. I I did. Uh, uh, I got uh, the macarena. Um, none of these kids know what the macarena is, but they've been to a wedding and they have parents. So yes, they've uh, they've heard the macarena and seen it done. And then I got that insipid little neon moon dance challenge. that's going around on TikTok uh, everywhere. It's having to do this, uh, with some, with some eye candy, some, some pretty young girls and some studly young man demonstrating this thing for these, for these kids. And I said, all right, y'all familiar with all these songs? Said, oh yeah. We love those. Okay, good. I'm going to give you 15 minutes. You're going to have to teach these songs to the rest of the class. Here's the thing. You cannot demonstrate the moves. You cannot pantomime them. And all of your choreography must be done using correct medical terminology and correct directional terms. (laughs) And we made them teach each other how to do the whip and the nay-nay and the stanky leg. (laughs) And all that kind of stuff going like, uh, well, first you will extend and, and pronate your right arm. Now you extend and pronate your left arm. Now you supinate. Now you flex and place the palmar surface of the hand on the occiput of your head and so on and so forth. And may them teach each other this dance um, uh, with using nothing but medical terminology and voice instruction. And it was awkward, but by the end of the class, these guys are giggling like fiends, making up their own dance, and they're just throwing out terms like dorsiflexion, abduction, adduction, uh, rotation, um, pronation, and supination, and, and this kind of thing. So they're using the language of their profession, and they're giggling like fiends while they did it. And, and man, the video. YouTube comedy gold, (laughs) seeing, seeing the the big fat instructor that when he dances, he looks like a human lava lamp uh, and then trying to teach me how to, how to do uh, whatever dance it was they made up. But there's the thing they um, we didn't have to use a tool to do that. Uh, And, and you can get creative and make, pretty much any lesson interesting if you try hard enough at it. Uh, and, and oftentimes the reliance on those tools is what makes it boring. So, uh, you don't necessarily need, and, and by the way, I didn't have a skill sheet to do this. There is no skill sheet for how to do the whip and the nay-nay. Let me see yours, man. Can you, can you whip? Can you nay-nay? I don't even know what the heck you're talking about. So, oh I, man, yeah. Look at all right. Well, homework well, after today. Yeah, after after we sign off, get on YouTube and fill those gaping holes in your pop culture education. I got nothing better to do <laughs> than do that.
0: But uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break, <laughs> Kelly. Let's go ahead and uh, give us the mid-show read, and we will uh, come back after that break.
1: All right. Core stethoscope technology by Echo with active noise cancellation and up to 40 times amplification helps EMS providers assess hard to hear heart, lung, and other body sounds in even the loudest situations. I've tested the Echo Core technology. I use an Echo Core Litman stethoscope every day, and I can tell you that it is a game changer. It will help you hear things that you didn't think were possible to hear, and you will love it if you try it. Learn more at echohealth.com, that's E-K-O-Health.com, and use code EMS1 for $20 off.
0: You know, so I think that you bring up a lot of great points in the last segment, and I think that one of the things that we've gotten out of the process of is, you know, that the instructor is the visual aid, and mm-hmm. in in one of my leadership books, I wrote a chapter on I am the visual aid. Because I want to be able to ensure that people can get back to, you know, giving the, you know, instruction it needs to be given that people are paying attention to you. And I think that one of the things that we've gotten into is the fact of that we don't have to prepare to be the best instructors that we can be because mm-hmm. we have all these things around us that we'll, we yeah. can use as a crutch to keep us from uh, falling on our face. But I think that there's another issue. I think that EMS instruction has become a part-time job. I think that EMS instruction has become a money-making. How do I want to say it has become a money-making market. And we've lost the skill of trying to do the best job that we can. You know, last week, uh, maybe it was a couple weeks ago. There was something on Facebook about honorariums, and you know, what do we get paid? And you know, do we do we do the job uh, if people aren't going to pay us to come to their conference? And you know, I, I found that topic a little bit unsettling because I found that there were EMS educators or folks that are calling themselves EMS educators that are more worried about. What they're going to get compensated than what they're going to deliver. Now, I do believe that if we're going to a conference, that there should be some level of compensation. Mm-hmm. There should be some level of reimbursement. You know, and the comments that I made was, I don't make, I don't care what I'm getting paid. I just don't want to lose any money in the deal. You know, I don't yeah. want to have to pay for my travel. I don't want to have to pay for my lodging. Um, but, you know, what people are giving me for honorariums or for fees is really what they can hopefully afford. And they're not mm-hmm. going to be, you know, hold back on the people that deserve to yeah. be compensated for their time. Exactly. But, Kelly, but Kelly, I do think that there is a little bit of uh, value challenge because, you know, when I get invited to a conference, I, I think it's an honor to speak there. When I get, to, when I'm asked to teach a class, I mean, who the heck am I that people want to listen to me? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's just the purpose of saying I've got to be able to develop a process and bring some education that will give value to the people who are paying money mm-hmm. to listen to me speak. But I do think that there's a little bit of disconnect in the purpose of education, in the purpose of public speaking. Mm -hmm. that it's more about the money you're going to get and not about the education or the message that you're going to deliver. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts.
1: There, there is an element of that. I I will agree Um, uh, and and talk of honoraria and and stuff seems somewhat mercenary to me. But uh, then again, I'm a guy who gets paid a, a fairly decent honoraria to to speak. And, uh, it, it's pretty damn hypocritical of me to talk about, uh, um, seeking out the best honorary when I'm paid, you know, in the, in the upper tier of those and other people have to make money, you know, uh, or at least not lose money. Um, I think it's a shock for many new speakers to realize that this is not a glamorous thing that we do. You know, it looks cool. You get to stand up and you're an expert and you're, you're, you're standing up in front of 500 people expounding on a topic and they flew you in from, from uh, the other side of the country to do it. And God, what an ego charge that must be. But um, the, it, it's not that glamorous. It's a, it's a, it's a grind, but you the know, point you've of done it,
0: but the point I'm trying to make, I want—I don't want to cut you off. I want to hear the rest yeah. of
1: your thought. But the point
0: I'm trying to make is, it shouldn't be an ego thing. It should no, it be shouldn't be. Thing. It shouldn't but be. And I didn't mean is, to cut you and, off. Go ahead.
1: And if you've done it long enough, uh, it, it's not just a—it's uh, not just an in joke. That sometimes you're. Uh, you can't enjoy the conference uh, and you can't do the things like the other attendees do at the conference and they whoop it up at the at the bar or whatever social event because you're grinding and and tweaking your presentation till the very end. Even though it's already done, you're trying to make it the very best for that group of people and, and most applicable to them. You, know, you may have it, given it in Denver last week uh, and you're giving it in, in New York today. Well, it needs to be New York specific. Um, so, uh, it it is a grind and, and, and ego shouldn't be a part of it, uh, by the same token, uh, there's a contingent of, there's a contingent of, of conferences out there that expect you to speak for the privilege of speaking. Uh, and that means losing money on it. Oh, sure. We'll, uh. We'll give you a, we'll give you a free conference registration, um, but we're we're gonna only pay for one night's travel, and you're gonna have to cover your airfare or you're driving yourself and and but you get to but but think of the exposure. <laughs> and Reuben Farnsworth has an excellent response to that. He said, you know, people die from exposure. <laughs> and he's right. Um, uh, I have a philosophical problem with with a, a place that charges attendees. attend a conference charges exhibitors uh 500 or a thousand dollars for an eight-foot table uh and a curtain booth um and then expects the the talent uh to to speak for for the privilege of, of doing so i think that's disingenuous um and that sort of thing should not go on uh however I have spoken for free at more than a few conferences, uh, as recently as last year. And we'll do again tomorrow. I've gone to places and, and they said, well, what do you take? And I said, well, what do you got? Um, this is what I normally charge. And they said, well, Hey, you ever done any pheasant hunting? I said, no, I haven't. We got a guy. And I was like, hey, say no more. You take me pheasant hunting and pay my pay by my my uh, travel. Uh, and, um, uh, I'm your guy you can ride me like a rented mule um but one of the th- one of the things that that uh, the ego has has gotten in the way of of the the professional speaker and, and and lecturer and educator yeah yeah there is a certain extent of that one of the things that's gotten in the way of us as as EMS educators is this slavish devotion to a tool that was not designed to be used in the way we're doing it. And that, that is the skill sheet. You may not have heard that National Registry just recently announced that they're sunsetting their skill sheets, uh, at least at the BLS level. Um, and there are EMS instructors out there losing their minds. Like, oh, how, how are we going to teach without the skill sheets? How are we supposed to? Well, you're supposed to teach, doofus. You know, th- this is not a recipe, you know, you don't add a pinch of stable spinal stabilization and, and a dash to primary survey and let cool in the ICU serves three to six. It does not work that way. You cannot teach a class using a testing instrument. And that's what people have forgotten along the way, because they we, we typically revert to the, the path of least resistance. We're taking a testing instrument that is formatted and written in such a way to make it easier for an evaluator to go down and check boxes to make sure that you hit all the the important points. But it was never, ever designed to be a flow sheet for how you should perform a skill much less for how you should teach a skill. Yeah, but Yet skills, so but many skills people do it that way,
0: but skills aren't really taught, right? We give them the sheet and we say, learn the sheet and memorize That's far, the yeah. sheet. That's and, a huge part of it. Yeah. And regurgitate this sheet. I mean, we don't teach the skill or the importance of the skill or, you know, why we're taking manual traction and a femur, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think that this is where that challenge comes in is that yeah. we really have to be able to understand. I'm going to give you my final thought. And I,
1: well, let me, let me interrupt you one before you do your final thought and and instructors, if that is your philosophy, if that's what you do, the examiners who are passing muster on your students, they know it. It is painfully obvious when your students go to test and we are rolling our eyes at you so hard that we can see our own occipital lobes. It is it's painfully obvious that you've, you have produced a parrot and not an EMT. Don't when you ever do
0: that, when you look at your occipital lobes, what part of the dance move is that by the way? Oh, I, don't, uh, I don't know. But anyway, but you know, <laughs> that's, here's, that's here's,
1: my, the, 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 flourish I add to my nay nay.
0: Okay, good. So, but um, you know, my final thought is this, I mean, our, our, you know, it's, it's an art and a science to be an instructor, right? I mean, it's, and it's an honor to stand up in front of people and, uh, you know, when you when you put your name in at a conference and your name's on the schedule and people come into your room, I mean, I've had four people in my class, I've had hundreds of people in my classes, and it, it's an honor, they get to pick that they want to be able to come and hear you, but speakers speak right to be a good speaker. You've got to speak. And, you know, we belong to these forums on Facebook where EMS presenters and all the other things. And, you know, we talk about evaluations and we talk about pay and we talk Mm -hmm. about all the science that goes into the art of this process. The things that I want to stress on the people who may want to become instructors or who already are instructors is, you have to be able to develop a style that will give people the desire to come and listen to you. Mm -hmm. You know, there are people that I want to listen to anytime that they're on a conference schedule. Kelly Grayson is one of them. He's very, very humorous, you know, Ray Barashansky. He's another one that can deliver a class that is enjoyable to me. Dan Limmer gives great classes. So when you see these Mm -hmm. names on the Uh, uh, schedule, you want to be able to go and watch these people. Now, when I watch them, I just don't watch them for content, but I watch them for presentation style. I watch them for transition. I watch them for, you know, how they're, how they're using their voice. I watch Mm -hmm. them for, you know, how they, um, you know, how they're able to motivate and inspire. There are six questioning techniques that you're supposed to use in classes. And I want to make sure that all those questioning techniques are used equally. So Mm -hmm. I look at that science from that standpoint. The point that I'm trying to make is that being an instructor is all about the people who are coming to listen to your class. It's not about you. It's not about you at all. You are you are the instrument that's going to be able to deliver the content that's going to inform people that's going to entertain people, that's going to persuade people. And you've got to be able to stand in front of the room and give them the very best you got. That means you're preparing for the class. That means that you're giving them information that they may not know already. That means that you're not reading off the PowerPoint. That means that you are the visual aid that's entertaining them, informing them, and persuading them to be the very best EMS Mm -hmm. provider that they can be. And that's what I want you guys to focus on. But that's my final thought, Kelly. What do you got?
1: Yeah. When when you're an instructor, if you're an effective instructor, you are in essence, a knowledge salesman. That's what you do. You've got a product to sell and uh, hopefully you believe in your product and you can sell it. Instructors are merely knowledge salesmen. Don't be the annoying telemarketer who, who phones you at an inconvenient time and reads from a script. And that's the extent of your salesmanship ability. Take the time to know your customer, your student, uh, know their likes and dislikes and motivations. Take the time to know enough about your product that you can, you can extol its virtues in your sleep and you make that presentation pop. That's all it is. It is, it is salesmanship and knowledge. And some people are better salesmen than others. But in answer to the folks who are, who are all of Twitter over what you're going to do, without a skill sheet you're going to teach guys you're going to teach you don't use a testing instrument to to teach your class and you that is the definition of teaching to the test go get creative figure out ways to do things practice and repetition but you don't have to use that instrument and heck that instrument has, has become so much of a crutch to us that it is hampering your ability to be a good knowledge salesman. And that's all I've got to say about that. Uh, for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. You guys, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Uh, give us your thoughts, concerns, comments, and questions at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero who could teach an armadillo to dig a hole in the ground, we're catch you guys next week.